Welcome to Nahum Connections Podcast, Voices in Patient Access. Here, industry experts contribute their voices about popular patient access topics, including career development and leadership, revenue cycle operations, healthcare regulations, and the patient experience. If you like what you hear today, subscribe or leave a review where you listen to podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 20 of the Nahum Connections podcast. I am Nicole Fountain, Nahum Publications Committee Chair and Vice President of Revenue Cycle at University of Chicago Medicine. I'm thrilled to be back again moderating this conversation. Today, we are honoring in celebration of Diversity Month. Over the past few years, NAHAM has brought diversity, equity, and inclusion, or DEI, to the forefront of all we do. Not only does DEI impact us as a professional organization, it also impacts the work we do in our facilities and with the patients we serve each day. I'm thrilled to sit down with three NAHAM members who are willing to speak about their experiences embedding DEI into their professional lives. We're joined today by Julian Brown Ahart, Latoria Cooper, and Raphael Garreton. Welcome to the Nahum Connections podcast. Before we dive into our conversation, I would love to invite you to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, your career in patient access and involvement with Nahum. Julian, would you like to start? Sure. So my name is Julian Brown Ahart. I'm currently Associate Director of Registration and Operations at Cedar sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles. But with a quick note, though I'm in LA, my heart's in LA, I'm a Midwest transplant, so I'm originally from St. Louis, Missouri area. I've been with Cedars for 15 years and in the patient access profession for about 17. I've been either CHA or CHAM certified for most of those years, but I really only became more involved with NAHAM in 2021 with the opportunity to join NAHAM's DEI task force, where I also served as chair. I now serve as a member on the education committee And I'm now very happy to participate in this discussion as well. So thanks for inviting me. Excellent. We're so pleased to have you here with us today. Latoria, would you like to go next? Yes. Hi, my name is Latoria Cooper, and I've been in healthcare patient access for 10 years now. I have been involved with NAHAM since 2018. I am currently working at Conifer Health Solutions, my new position as a claim edit biller, but I did start off in patient access and have been in there forever, I feel like. (laughs) But I am part of the NAHAM membership committee. I love that you say you feel like you've been in patient access forever. I think most of us feel that way. Like once you're in, you get sucked in and and you couldn't ever imagine not having it part of your life. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Raphael, you want to bring us home? Hi there. So my name is Raphael. I hope everyone had a great patient access week, by the way. I'm the patient access director over at Roswell Park Comprehensive Cancer Center here in Buffalo, New York. I identify as a cis gay male and also as Hispanic. I've been CHAM certified since 2016 and studying for the CHAM examination and checking out NAHAM's resources has provided so many great opportunities for me, even just studying for the exam. It really opened up a lot of doors for me. So I've been really wanting to get back to NAHAM and that's when I looked into the membership committee and, and joining with our membership committee. I work a lot with Latoria in that membership committee. So um, <laughs> it's been a great time giving back and also learning too and and just getting it out there. It's been great. Excellent. Oh, I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to talk with you today and, and learn a little bit about all of you and your experiences as well. Very excited for all of our listeners to be able to learn from you today. I think this is just such an important topic. So why don't we get started? 
2021, the NAHAM Board of Directors developed and adopted a DEI statement, which we discussed back in episode nine of the podcast. We'll link to it in the show notes for those of you who weren't able to listen into that one. Julian, you played a key role in leading this initiative on the DEI task force. What drove you to get involved in the initiative and what did you learn from it? You know, well, as a cis, gay, black male, I have a lot of different points into that. But my involvement was really initiated by a a simple survey response to Nahum gathering thoughts from the community on the DEI topic. Just given the shifts in thought and awareness around the country, I, I thought it was a great opportunity to join the conversation rather than to just be a spectator on something that really impacts us all. I learned that while there are experts out there, this is really just an honest conversation in every team, group, and family across the country. You know, race, gender, sexuality, they're often the big topics in DEI, but it involves religious observations, cultural and heritage differences that may differ from the majority in that area or your community. But those with disabilities and many other characteristics and thoughts that make people unique and at times marginalized. So this uniqueness of our experiences in the world, they they shape what we bring to the table every day. So my involvement helped me to not shy away from some of those conversations. Well, I just, I really find that profound when you think about that a question or a conversation can be the catalyst for this really incredibly important work, not just in a formal setting, but like you said, just in conversations, even, even with family, friends, colleagues. So thank you for getting us started, Julian. A question for the group now, have you incorporated Naham's DEI guiding principles into the work you do each day? And if so, how, or what are some of the best practices your facility is following to prioritize DEI for your colleagues and for your patients? Well, I know with my former employer, we were just getting, before I left, we were just getting into our DEI initiatives and they saw how well I worked with people of different ethnicities and cultural backgrounds. And a lot of what I have learned, especially getting from the resources, is to listen and to never assume. I think I always go back to a time when I first started out in registration and I was taking care of someone. I I will never forget it. And I raised my hand up to say goodbye, you know, just to say bye. And the husband turned around like, did you just disrespect my wife? And I was like, no, I'm just a Southern girl. And I just said, bye, you know, have a nice day. And that always resonates with me because what we think is a simple hi and bye could be something drastically disrespectful to another culture. And I think that's the story I always led with when I talk with my team, because we have to be very careful of how we present ourselves in front of our patients. We want to make sure we get everything from them without them shutting down. And I think that would be the number one thing to worry about and to always have in the forefront. So true. Raphael, anything from your perspective? Yeah, I definitely like checking out the diversity, equity, and inclusion toolkit that's online with Naham, just to see how, as a community, how can we come together to share our experiences, our our programs, and our processes. I actually heard a, a different podcast recently where they talked about, hey, I think I'm doing a okay. I think I'm doing fine. I don't need to improve. And and then when you're in that mindset and you don't really open up your mind to what someone else is doing, you really, you can't improve. It's You're not opening yourself up for that. You know, being content and not seeing what someone else is doing is 
it's it just doesn't allow that in your life. So I know, for example, I saw a recent article in the you know the DEI task force that mentioned that their teams are starting to wear pronoun tags on their ID badges. It's it's a great idea, something I didn't think of. I think that's one great example of how we can all learn from each other too, especially working with a diverse set of patients where you either engage in the conversation or you show that you're a leader in a forefront to say, hey, we're here, we're part of the discussion and we're here for you too. So I think that checking those toolkits and seeing how we come together is a, it's just a great resource to have. I love too that you, and Latoria's example, and then you kind of connected this idea of we have to be open hearing other people's realities. And if, if I think about that example, Latoria just shared with us, if she had been unwilling to pay attention to that husband of that patient, she may never even have realized that she had potentially offended someone. And yet you sound like you handled it perfectly being open to the hearing what someone else's perspective might be. And I couldn't agree more if it, there's no way, <laughs> there's no right. way that nobody has experienced every experience of every perspective on this planet. So for people to think that they're doing great and have nothing to learn seems unreasonable, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, another way, just if I could add how I've tried to incorporate it into my day is, I guess my favorite one is, is bias disruption. You know, so we all have biases and it's important to recognize that not necessarily in a wrong way because we're human but being human means we have the critical skills to be and do better so encouraging my team to go to individuals that we may not be initially drawn to because of familiarity relatability etc you know one effort may be to address the quiet people in the room whether during the meeting or privately perhaps they don't feel comfortable in the setting you know especially where extroverts are shining bright but they may not feel value in their voice for some reason, though every perspective matters, but taking that extra step to ask a new person to participate on a project or to truly ask yourself why you skipped over that resume and if it was maybe because the name was different from what you're familiar with, but making different choices. I'm encouraging my team to make slightly different choices, and we may be surprised and are often surprised at how rich the results would be. So really, bias disruption, I think, is a, is a huge one to just bring more people into the fold and have a larger conversation. That's a fantastic suggestion that I think our listeners can implement right away. The examples that you just shared, Julian, sound great for maybe like managers or people that are working in collaborative settings, not to put you on the spot, but do you have any suggestions for how our individual contributors who are in the, the one-to-one kind of setting with a patient might be able to practice bias disruption during their days as well? That's a good question. Um, <laughs> I mean, I guess you could, it depends on the circumstance, but, you know, treat them as if you would treat your family. You know, maybe somebody's presenting your looks a little different, maybe they're dressed a little different, maybe they sound a little different, but that doesn't mean, you know, you should treat them any differently. As a matter of fact, be a little bit warmer and accommodating to them because they probably already feel that they're walking into a space that maybe people are not presenting the same way they are. And I guess really just treating them as you would a loved one and going that extra mile, maybe, you know, suggesting, Hey, can I help you to get to your location? Or can I help you to do this? It really goes a long way. And I think just, I mean, that's with a patient. And I'm also thinking about just working with your coworkers. 
ask a person that you normally wouldn't ask, maybe, hey, you want to go get a cup of coffee real quick? Or do you want something? And I think that makes people feel included on the team as well. Excellent. I love that. We'll send our listeners away today with some ideas of ways that they can put some of this into practice. Looking to grow your skill set and stature within patient access profession? Consider Naham's Certified Healthcare Access Associate or Certified Healthcare Access Manager, the only patient access certifications that meet NCCA standards. Showcase your knowledge, problem-solving abilities, and dedication to your career by becoming Naham Certified. Visit certification.naham.org to learn more. Moving along here, Naham has been covering DEI-related topics on connections in webinars and through other educational resources. And two recent topics covered were asking difficult questions in patient access, which was an article written by Ebony Jarvis, and the Equitable Care for LGBTQ Plus Patients webinar, which was presented by Scott Wood. Can the three of you help build off of the knowledge shared in those resources with your own recommendations for how our listeners might use those learnings to impact the patient experience? So funny enough, here where I work at Roswell Park, we actually just recently hosted a diversity, equity, and inclusion course for a new patient registration team. We actually took a lot from you know the article from Ebony regarding difficult questions in patient access and that team helped us design a course that would help engage with our patients and, and their caregivers too, while completing a registration and asking those difficult questions. You know, we really learned from the course and from the discussion what are best practices when it comes to asking patients and their caregivers those type of questions and the best way to approach folks equally and fairly. And, and I think it's really important to engage with your teams regarding equitable care for patients and for our community. Rely on your resources like what I did with your DEI department or check out the great resources located on AHEM's website. Thanks, Raphael. Julian, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we all know that coming to a healthcare facility is often a nerve-wracking experience. It's it's scary. It's not the first place patients want to be. And when asking difficult questions or maybe sensitive and personal questions of the patient, the last thing in that setting, especially is to further make them feel uncomfortable or ostracized or maybe, you know, that you're judging them or whatnot. So to be open, warm, don't assert any personal assumptions or judgment, but also just no mistakes will happen. You know, we will say something maybe that you may accidentally misgender a patient or you may accidentally, you know, come across a certain way. But when this happens, a quick apology without making it a big deal works, you know, follow up with a, how would you like us to note your identity, name, race, et cetera, and not make it a big deal and, and make them feel like, oh, you know, it's it's a very sensitive situation. But again, just having a kind of a warm and open conversations and just asking, well, how would you like us to note this for your care? I think the key here is to be genuine, let the patient know we're being welcoming and learning how to make their visit as positive and productive as possible. It's really that allyship and and not presenting it as a kind of a judgment or just something that's just plainly just different. It's again, it's a genuine conversation seeking to understand to help, I think is how those conversations are best framed. I think that's a great reminder. Latoria, anything you would like to add? For me and my team, it's more, we always try to say, do it by a patient by patient basis because everyone is not the same. 
it's the way we introduce ourselves. It's the way we give the paperwork. We usually, if, if someone comes in with a caregiver, like who is going to fill out the paperwork today? We are in a small rural area. So a lot of diversity isn't really rampant with us. We have very, you know, how can I say this? <laughs> we, we don't have a lot of diversity where we live, but, you know, in the rare occasion where we do have someone who, like with my situation earlier, we know to kind of be general in what we say, but in a way, do it with compassion. As what Julian said, you know, be genuine with it. But keeping it on a patient-by-patient basis and already having that familial thing that we do have in our small town. They already come in trusting us because they know us. They've seen us on the street. So they know when they come into the hospital, they feel safe. So we don't really have too much of a barrier where we are. But we also try to make sure that they know that, you know, they will be taken care of needs will be met and they will be sent on to outpatient or the ER with everything done. All right. Thank you all. Leaders across industries are prioritizing inclusive conversations to create meaningful connections and understanding across teams. In patient access, this is taken a step further as inclusive conversations relate to the patient experience too. And you guys have been talking about this a little bit already. But can you maybe think of an example of an inclusive conversation that you've had that you'd be willing to share with us, whether that was with a colleague or a patient? Sure. So, you know, not too long ago, I had a new staff member that is gender non-binary. They expressed to me in my one-on-one with them just having a difficult time acclimating because their email, their name ID or their ID badge and everything had their birth name listed which often led to misgendering, improper use of pronouns, et cetera. And they were just really having a a hard time starting out. And it it made them quite emotional often. So, you know, our IT and security teams had some out of date and maybe some rigid processes around only legal names. But we successfully had conversations around where the legal name is appropriate and where we can accommodate, quite frankly, alias names on ID badges and emails. So I then made sure the team were also reminded because this misgendering was occurring on the team as well. And some of that is just frankly from our training growing up. You know, you kind of say sir or ma'am or whatnot, and it's, it kind of comes naturally in it. But to remind them that if someone walks in the room and introduces themselves a certain way to honor that introduction, you know, that that's general respect. And I know it's going to take some kind of rekeying or the way we think, but it's respect. This applies for both patients and colleagues. So, you know, though all of this helped and made the new team member more comfortable and included, it reminded me that there are times we need to go that extra step to help create a safe space for someone else. And so, you know, also if patients can relate to the people that they see in the healthcare facility, they are more at ease and will be more engaged in their care. So it's important for us to hire people that also represent the community at large. So diversity also makes a big difference just in that patient experience as well. I love that you used the the words honor and respect, and particularly in in the context of someone's identity. You know, and another example I can think of is just names. And you know, I'll I'll share with all of you that as we started, and although our listeners didn't hear this, I asked you all how to pronounce your name because I have made mistakes before and mispronounced people's names and. 
I think names are are one of those things that everybody deserves to have pronounced correctly. And um, I think it's it's something that's actually reasonably easy for us to do, to pay a little bit more attention, listen to how someone says their name, repeat it back to them, and then say it the way it's meant to be said. And I call it out because I've actually had conversations with colleagues before, and maybe you guys have heard people say this too, well, I'll never say it right anyway. And, and so then they just never try to say it right. And I think that's something that can be incredibly hurtful to people. If I can add to that, actually, real quick, um, I, I do have some, you know, for example, I'll be conducting an interview and, you know, it may be a complicated name to me and they'll say, oh, just call me. And it's typically an Americanized version. And it's like, no, no, no. I want to speak to you. Like, call. I want to call you what your grandmother would call you. Yeah. So so just work with me here and I'm going to get it. But it's, it is to your point. It is a matter of respect. And it does. It honors them as a person and it honors their heritage in some respects. Yeah, that's a great point. Latoria, what about you? Do you have an example you could share with us? It was probably one of my favorite patient couples, really. They were from South Africa and they were a white South Africans. And when they came and they sat in my office and we began talking, I started to notice that they weren't understanding a lot of what I was saying and things that were on the paper. We actually sat in my office for almost 30 minutes to an hour going over paperwork because it was completely different. The healthcare system is completely different in South Africa than it is here in the United States. And they were telling me, they ask for so much, they do this, they do that. And I'm like, state law, I can't control this, you know. And they were so kind and were loving and understanding of my position. And they loved how warm I was with them because as much as I was frustrated on the inside, don't get me wrong. And a lot of us, you know, when we're dealing with certain things in different cultures and we're trying to understand each other, we, we get a little frustrated. But I kept that under wraps and they were just they were patient with me and I was patient with them. And we kind of finally came to a resolution because it was about insurance. And anybody that knows what insurance does, you are about to rip your head off. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure all of our listeners have that. Right. And now the thing about it, I'm dealing with a foreign insurance on American soil with folks that has English as their second language. And it's just a lot going on. And like I said, we finally came to a resolution. It wasn't that hard because we found the English version of everything. So yay for that. <laughs> but that really taught me, that really taught me how to handle folks of a different nationality. Really opened my eyes. Like I stated earlier, we're not in a place that has a lot of diversity, but we are going to encounter that sooner or later. And that was my first time encountering that. And I think I had been in my position for about five years before I encountered something like that. But it was something wonderful. And I did pass that on to my team. And then my team said, okay, so when we get someone foreign, we're going to send them to you. And I'm like, no, <laughs> we're going to learn. We're going to learn. And they have actually grown because we've had a lot more South Africans come to our small town and they have said, oh, you guys are so pleasant. You guys work with us. And we're like, if it wasn't for my experience, we wouldn't be here. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you took what could have been a really frustrating and negative experience and turned it into something that ended up yes. being positive yes. for everybody. And it really just starts with being genuine. 
it really just starts with you sitting down and taking that initiative to listen and not assume and Mm -hmm. not just take what you know and let it be right because they didn't know anything about America and I did not know a thing about South Africa and how that worked. So we just came together. It's a willingness to understand and come together at the end of the day. Indeed, a great way to phrase it. Raphael, can you share an example with us? Yeah, absolutely. So one thing I didn't share before is that I'm actually new to the Western New York area. I've moved up and down the East Coast. I started in Orlando, went to Northern Virginia, New Hampshire, and Vermont, and then ended up here in Western New York. But I I chose Buffalo as my home for a few different reasons. And one of those is how diverse the community is. I really love how we take our differences and make them our strength. And that's why in May of last year, you know, our community was the victim of a hate crime and, and Western New York really suffered and mourned with 10 families who lost their loved ones murdered because they were Black here in the top shooting. And the day after, I really wanted to be an ally for my team. I wanted to, I wanted to be there. I knew being silent would have been damaging for my team. It would have been damaging for a lot of reasons. And so the day after I let my team know that I was here for them, I helped provide any additional resources as much as possible to everyone. I reminded them that racism had no place here, that we're Buffalo strong, that I'm here to be supportive. I'm an ally, but really just to to be there for my team and to address that head on as best as I possibly could. I really appreciate you sharing that and can hear the emotion in your voice, Raphael. I know I'm not answering my own questions, but as a a, a white cisgendered woman, <laughs> I would like to also take this opportunity to share. There are times when I have thought, well, maybe this isn't my place to talk about this with my team because it's not necessarily work-related or I'm not part of that marginalized community or it didn't happen to me or or whatever the reasons may be. And during the pandemic, oh, when so many things happened and so many people were hurting, I just kind of said to myself, wow, we really have to talk about this. And I wasn't sure how my team would take it, but in a team meeting, I said, hey, you know, we're going to, we're going to talk about this. If you will talk about whatever you guys want to talk about. I just want you to know how I'm feeling and, you know, how I'm hurting too. And, and what came out of it was such beautiful vulnerability, but trust within the team and people sharing things that I, I never would have expected we would have talked about at work, but as we had those conversations with each other, it became apparent that we needed that support from each other at work as well. We needed to help understand how we were collectively feeling and what we could do to help each other through it. And so I I do want to take the opportunity right now to say to everybody who's listening, even if you, and perhaps most importantly, if you identify with a group that tends to be part of the majority. This this is not a topic that you should not also be engaged in. And being an ally sometimes means being brave, but (laughs) it's probably not a patch on the bravery that the people around you are having to show every day as well. So 
I just encourage everybody to really think about what they can do every day to help, I don't know, just improve the world, right? A little bit at a time. Thank you all so much for sharing those personal stories. Likewise, that was great. Like what you hear on Nahum Connections podcast? Visit naham.org slash Naham Connections to catch up with the latest patient access content and insights from patient access professionals and industry experts. All right. So another thing that I would love to hear from you, we know Naham has lots of resources for DEI education and inpatient access, but there are certainly other tools out there as well. So do you have any recommendations for our listeners about what tools, whether it's through Naham or, or another source, they might continue to explore so that they can promote inclusive environments in their workplaces as well? Actually, actually, this is going to tie into just what we were talking about and, and Raphael's story as well. You know, I think the DEI toolkit is great. It has a lot of different resources that, you know, go to different entities or websites and whatnot. But I recommend starting with the allyship resources. So to both of those points that you mentioned, Nicole and Raphael, is, you know, we may not identify or understand every facet of society out there, but I know we've all been in a position where we needed an ally in the room a voice of support, a kind gesture in a scary place. And, you know, that as you were mentioning, allyship goes a long way in this journey. And so to me, allyship is simply showing respect and at least a gesture of concern for our neighbor or community. You know, it's not a, it's not a situation of, well, this is them and I'm here. You know, we are all part of the human community, if you will. And I know that sounds broad, but really at the end of the day, we are all people and human beings with the exact same emotions. And we need sometimes to have an ally in the room. And so I think starting with allyship is really important. Thank you so much for sharing that, Julian. Raphael, anything from you? Yeah, I think pronouns.org is a great resource to get started and, and go over personal pronouns and why they matter. It's something that I've used myself. You know, I know Julian mentioned earlier, you know, what do you do if you mispronounce someone, you know, and you make a mistake? How, you know, what are the, it kind of gives you the best toolkit on how to apologize and, and carry on with the conversation in the most appropriate way. I think another great resource out there is really anything that goes over any mental health conditions and the stigma in the workplace. A lot of my background is actually in working in mental health facilities. And I think that Getting the chance to understand what resources are out there to help yourself, your team, the patients that we help serve, all them together, whether it be EAP or any additional resource that your facility may provide, I think it's important to check that out and understand how to also mental health can be in the workplace. And there's a stigma around that and addressing it head on and seeing how you can be there to support your teams is important too. They're great reminders and, and tools to suggest. Latoria, anything you'd like to share? Something that I always promote, listen to your team is number one. Those are the folks that are on the front line. Those are the folks that see everything and communicate and interact with your patients. Those are the best people to sit down with and talk with and see how you can improve as an organization. A lot of people rely so much on the top. Now, don't get me wrong. That's why we have the C-suite. That's the point, you know. But at the same time, you get your best ideas from your associates. You really do. 
And if we just, you know, have a moment and sit down, have, like I said, have a one-on-one and see what their experience is like with patients and other colleagues as well, you can be better prepared for everything around you because when you're in those offices, you, you don't see everything. You don't get to interact with everyone like you would like to, but they do. Great reminders. All right. So we're going to wrap up our conversation. You three have been absolutely wonderful. I would love to give you one last chance. Any parting words of wisdom or one small step that you'd like to share with our listeners that they could take today to adopt a more diverse, equitable, and inclusive mindset in their daily work? And I'm going to start with Latoria, then we'll go to Raphael, and we'll close with Julian. To be more open-minded, not be so closed up to not experience and see new things. That would be my one thing to adapt in your everyday life, really. <laughs> Great. And I, I'm kind of building off of that one there. I think challenging your own assumptions, I feel like that can take a long time to self-examine and you know, I would say take baby steps with that too, you know, whether it be, hey, I tend to, you know, in an interview, I tend to do X, Y, and Z when I'm interacting with another individual, right? Why do I keep on doing that? It, you know, am I favored towards a certain question or towards certain answers? Or am I really looking at this, you know, in, in the best way possible? So I think taking baby steps with your assumptions and in terms of addressing them and kind of, you know, self-examining and figuring yourself out. I think that's really critical. I think mine is, and I'll focus on another concept here, in that, you know, I think we've all heard about microaggressions. I'm really interested in the topic or effects of microaffirmations. So, you know, when we have the intention of, of doing a good thing and telling somebody they're doing a great job and, you know, I've got plans for you or I think you'll be great on this project, that is incalculable it has an incalculable impact on their career but it's important to you know how does it impact the person that either only sees someone else receiving these affirmations or who are being left behind and maybe not receiving the same ones and of course they have to be deserving of it but to not always go to the person that you know you're already close with or that go-to person on the team and this is just another example of bias disruption but you know when you go and affirm someone are you affirming everyone equally when they do something well? Or are you always going to that one point person? And I think that can, it can backfire if you don't, and it can kind of even turn into one of those microaggression things that we've always heard about. But, you know, I like the saying, you know, that diversity is being invited to the party, inclusion is being on the planning committee, but belonging is feeling appreciated for being there. And so I think of, you know, kind of thinking of that as the big picture. Well, you have certainly all given us a lot to think about and hopefully given everybody things that they can actually implement right away. Julian, Latoria, and Raphael, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you sharing your insights with the Nahum community. The conversation continues on Nahum Connections. For more content specific to career development and leadership, patient experience, healthcare regulations, and revenue cycle operations, visit naham.org slash nahamconnections. That's n-a-h-a-m dot org slash nahamconnections. Plus, Naham members can access a library of on-demand education featuring a breadth of trending topics. Visit naham.org slash webinars on demand to start learning. 
Not a member, but interested in taking advantage of these valuable resources? Join Nahum to arm yourself with community knowledge and resources as you face obstacles in your daily work. Nahum offers the year-round education and knowledge you need to help you navigate the unexpected. Visit Nahum.org slash Nahum membership to become a member. That's N-A-H-A-M dot org slash Nahum membership. Thank you to everyone listening today. Until next time.